You look like an intelligent young man. You look like someone who'd be interested in a bargain. A bargain? Yeah. Why, uh, sure, why not? Are, are, are you a salesman? Right. Oh, what do you sell? Eights. Eights? Like the number eight. Shh. Like, like, like the number eight. Right. Oh, yeah? You take this eight here, see? You hang it on the wall. Next time you wonder how many legs an octopus has, yeah? you look at the eight. Welcome to the Bolt from the Blue podcast. I'm happy to be joined by Mr. Colin Savage, the King of the Kipax Writer and the City Matters Committee member, and also by Mr. Ray Bubbles, who runs City Fan TV on YouTube. Before we talk about the demolition of Watford, let's just do a little recap of what happened in the midweek game against Shakhtar Donetsk in the Champions League. Most agreed this away tie looked to be our toughest game in our group, and it was a very comfortable 3-0 win to make us forget to some degree the previous game against Norwich. Ray, that lineup that Pep organised for this game, any surprises there? Was that how you expected it would be? Well, I expected Jesus to play instead of Aguero. Uh, that was no surprise. I expected Maris to play. That was no surprise. Uh, I think we expected that back five to play. Don't think there were too many su- surprises. Did, anything to surprise you, Colin? The only thing was Gundogan rather than David Silva. I'm not saying it was a shock, but I, I think we've said before, haven't we, that Gundogan and David Silva don't work well as a pair. But Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne worked very well, I thought, in that yeah. field role. I felt that Mares and Bernardo are going to share starting time um, this season. Just by looking at it, Mares has started three out of six games. And I think Bernardo started three out of six games. And the funny thing is, I mean, it's, maybe it's just coincidence. I'm sure it is. There's, n- there's nothing to you, you can uh, derive from this. But three games Mares has started, we've won 5-0, 4-0 and 3-0. And the three games that Bernardo started, we've drawn two all, won 3-1 and lost 3-2. So I'm not saying uh, Mares is the difference and Mares is uh, helping us to keep clean sheets. But it just might be. It also just might be that generally Pepe's picking Mahrez, you could argue for the easier games. I don't know. I think they're just going to uh, alternate throughout most of the season. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, we're now in the two games a week uh, part yeah. of the season after the international break. You've also got to think about, obviously, we've got uh, Preston on um, Tuesday, yeah. So I think you've got to start thinking about rotation now as well. I think it'll be a, a relatively young team on um, Tuesday. But uh, yeah, so I think we've also got to start thinking in terms of how we give players rest of it. We bring in for what games? Yeah, I mean, for me, as long as they don't rotate KDB out of the team for the big games, I think there's a few players that I want to see playing the important league games and the Champions League games. And KDB's one, like 
uh, Collins all mentioned earlier, I don't want to see David Silva and Gundogan starting games together. KDB and whoever you want, whether it's Foden, David Silva, Bernardo Silva or Gundogan, as long as KDB's playing, I think we're all right. And let the others play if they need game time in the Carabao Cup game. How do you feel, Ray, that we got on against Shakhtar? At least 12 to 15 very good opportunities uh, that we could have scored from. And I'm I'm surprised it was only 3-0, to be honest. We just had, it was chance after, mostly chance after chance after chance. And listening to was it Jim Beglin telling us that it was a quite an even game and how good Shakhtar were and that they were much better than they were last season. As soon as we scored a goal, he was telling us Shakhtar were not very good and it was too easy for us and just the usual tripe. Red-loving media, whether they're of a red devil or a Anfield persuasion, isn't it mind-numbingly boring to hear? Shakhtar did have the chances. They were they were quite lively in that first half. Tyson was particularly dangerous. And of course, you know we've got a bit of a makeshift defence at the moment, and a couple of times. They had chances, and I think their finishing was quite uh, weak, fortunately for us. We'd already had a few half chances before that. Dino put one over the top, and Sterling just failed to get there. Shakhtar had a few minutes of pressure, around about the 10 or 11th minute. A bit of sustained pressure from them. You know, Mares, as usual, having a having a blast over the top. And then after, I think, 23 minutes, a lot of City pressure. You know, a sustained period of pressure. Mares had hit over the bar. Gondona doing a pass to Jesus, who took a little bit too long, actually should have scored. And very soon after, there was a mistake from Shakhtar. So we got down to the byline and put a cross in, and they were claiming that it had, uh, it had gone over the line. I think it was it Walker. Jesus ended it with the ball uh, in the box. He rolled it back to Ilke Gondona, who curled a left foot shot onto the post. And Maris, he absolutely leathered the ball into the roof of the net. I mean, the goalie was still on the floor. Uh, Maris looked around. I mean, it looked like he might have been offside, but wasn't. Definitely wasn't the replay, surely wasn't. And then we just carried it on like that, snapping into the press uh, and forcing Shakhtar to make mistakes. And pretty much that was the rest of the game. We were, I mean, Shakhtar would have the odd foray into our half and towards our penalty area. And then, you know, in their own half, they were losing the ball to our press. They're making far too many mistakes. And we had a lot of chances because of it. They were never, never close to our standard. I mean, they've got this nice little model there, haven't they? Where they get a lot of Brazilian players in. And obviously, we had a bit of a connection there, Fernandinho. Uh, Zinchenko finally got a game in his home city, which was a bit of a disappointment, for, uh, disappointment last time when we played there, when he didn't even get on the bench. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, they were a nice little team, but we came close to being the sort of team we know we are. Uh, and, and certainly in the second half, in the first half, they were very lively. They made you know two or three chances, and mm. the finishing wasn't really... Uh, you know, if the finishing had been better... It might have been a bit more troublesome for us. But it was a bit like, uh, remind me a bit of the FA Cup final, where Watford in the first half gave us a bit of a game, but we went in 2-0 on, uh, and they seemed to give up in the in the second half and, and just kind of uh, accept their fate, really. Just before goal number two, I've, I've got to say this. I mean, it was a, a very good move from Shakhtar, and I'm, I'm not going to say they were rubbish, but our good friend... Uh, uh, Tyson, he nutmegged uh, Rodri, Rodri who then rolled his head and basically didn't chase back. Uh, and I think to, on the edge of the box, obviously Mendy was nutmegged by passing to the box. And I don't know who the striker was. He shot straight at Edison yeah. when really he should have scored. That was a, a golden opportunity. And only a couple of minutes later, we had Rodri passing to Mares, and Mares came off, came in off his wing. He cut in to take the pass. I thought it was a bit of poor defending, a mixture of poor defending, thinking that Maris was just going to wait for the ball to come. Maris didn't. He came, he stepped inside to take the ball early. So it's a, a mixture of poor defending and good play from Maris. 
Uh, he passed a nice easy ball to Gundogan in the box, and Gundogan just uh, popped it into the net. And I asked, did he hit it with the outside of his foot? But he still hit it straight. It's a funny old I shot. I thought he got a slight deflection. I was just watching it before, actually. I thought he got a slight deflection off one of the uh, Shakhtar players. Maybe, maybe he did, but it, it looked like he hit it off the outside of his uh, yeah, right foot. It was but, a good finish. It was a good finish. But what it was, he kind of fooled the keeper by doing that. So he, it, the keeper thought he was going across him, and then he just flicked it with the outside of his foot to go straight on into the other corner. So a very good goal, well created by mainly by Riyad Mahrez. For the first half, I think he did. Pretty well. I mean, he's obviously scored a tap in and uh, created a, a good goal for for Gundogan. So for me, that was it was Mahrez's half for, for, for those two bits of good play. I, I think that was a very good reaction for, for for that first goal. We've seen players in that situation balloon the ball over the bar, haven't we? Because it comes at them so quickly and they swing at it and it can go anywhere. I'd like to play uh, Gabriel Jesus some credit for that first goal as well. Because he had the ball on the edge, around the edge of the area, and he played this. It was a very simple ball. The beauty of it was that you know, there was virtually no weight on the ball, so all Gundogan had to do was pick his spot. Mm. He didn't manage it then, mind you. He managed it. <laughs> Gabriel Jesus could have played that ball a lot harder, but it was just a lovely little roll into Gundogan's path. Nice and comfortable two zip going into mm. the second half. Were there any changes or any amendments that you thought that Pep had made? Or was it keeping things just as exactly as they were? I don't think there's anything needed to be done at that time. I mean, to be honest, in the last five or six minutes of the first half, you know, we had so many chances. Look at my notes, I think we had at least five chances. Yep. You know, KDB fluffed a couple. Great pass from KDB to Gabby Jesus, who was, as Gabby Jesus is most of the time, <laughs> offside. Fractionally, but, but... There was one incident where a player was offside. And it wasn't Gabriel Jesus. And, and, oh, uh, maybe I, the linesman thought it was Gabriel Jesus. Oh, if I hadn't been sat on the couch, I'd have fallen off it. <laughs> but we also, we, we did miss a, a great ball from Tyson, the ice of his right foot. This was towards the end of the first half. Their striker uh, hits it to Edison again. Edison, it's good keeping Edison. Didn't come out too far. He stood his ground for a change and didn't come out kamikaze-like and hack the player down. So There was one incident where he did come out. I yeah. thought better of it. <laughs> but that second second half, basically, that uh, he did one in the second half, didn't he? The second half, the ball was hit over the top. Fernandinho was tracking back. And one thing I like about Fernandinho, he anticipates anticipates what's going to happen. He knows, he can smell danger. But I think just from then on, um, we carried on in the same vein as, the, uh, as in the first half. You know, there's a great back heel from Zinchenko in a later, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know who was offside again. It, it followed that pattern of, Shaxi were getting, let's be honest, they were getting worse and worse. And that's to put it politely. They just kept saying, here you are, City, have the ball. We're going to keep making the mistakes. I, I would love to know how many unforced errors they made. They just kept giving us the ball. A little bit of pressure, and they'd give the ball away. They wanted to play it around and pass it around at the back, and sometimes they could. But generally, they just ended up giving us that ball. And then we just piled forward, had another chance upon chance upon chance, missed them. And that was the story of the second half. Shakhtar seemed to give up the ghost a little bit in the in the second half. We looked very, very, very comfortable without necessarily being, as I compared to the cup final, but in the second half of the cup final against Watford, we were quite aggressive. We were going for it and going for it. Whereas I think in the second half, we looked a little bit more relaxed. You know, we'd done the job. You couldn't see Shakhtar coming back into the game. Looking at the possession stats at the end of the game, we didn't have that much more possession than they did. I think it was about 54%, wasn't it? But in that second half, we must have had a lot more than 54% possession because we were quite, they, they weren't putting any pressure on the ball particularly. And of course, in the 76th minute, 
The third goal finally arrived. City have a three-on-one with the Shakhtar defence. De Bruyne collects a clearance. With Mahrez to his right, Gabi Jesus to his left. KDB chooses left. And Gabi Jesus carries the ball to the edge of the area before side-footing past the goalkeeper. This was a very straightforward win, Blues, and serves just as an hors d'oeuvre in this podcast to the game against Watford. Here we go. A few eagle-eyed uh, watchers of the ball from the blue will know that in last season's podcast, the game against Brighton and the FA Cup final, there's a couple of pods missing there. And of course, as you remember, the reason for that was a few technical difficulties. So what I thought we could do on this pod would be to do a little bit of a preview of our game against Watford and what you're expecting. And we can hark back a little bit to the 6-0 win against Watford in the FA Cup final. Of course, things have changed a lot since then. But in that way, we can kill two birds in one stone and and satisfy our listeners as well that we hadn't missed any gaps. So, Ray, um, what about Watford? How do you assess them this season on the basis of what you've seen so far? Well, Watford this season uh, did not be very good, have they? Um, they? They lost the first four games of the season. And pretty much, that was just a follow-on from last season. Because after the FA Cup semi-final against Wolves, where they won, they went on pretty much the mother of all bad runs. They lost in the next six league games, four, drew one, won one. Then they got an absolute battering, record-equaling scoreline in an FA Cup final at the hands of Manchester City, 6-0, back on the 18th of May. And uh, that was my birthday, so uh, many happy returns to me. Yeah, uh, birthday happy bir- <laughs> happy birthday for that day, Ray. What do you What do you remember? What do you remember that day, Ray? Were you there? I was. Oh, I was there. I did a lot of work that day. It was a cracking day. The weather was nice. Um, it was. I describe it as the best cup final I've ever been to. Not in terms of the game itself, but the atmosphere. The what the Watford fans I met along the way on the uh, on the tube going up to the ground, lovely people. They were just so happy to be there, and and all they asked for is that we didn't embarrass them too much. I hope hopefully we didn't, but I think six nil tells a different story. And after the game, they were just lovely as well. You know, so gracious, um, congratulating us. Uh, I'd never had that uh, cup final against any other opposition. There's, there's not a hint of a bad word, hints of any trouble. As I said, it was the most pleasant cup final I've ever been to. Uh, and the one outstanding memory I have from that day, and it will live with me for a long, long time, was I think we had scored our fifth goal after about 80 minutes or 82 minutes. And the Watford fans at the opposite end of the, of the ground suddenly started waving their flags, the yellow and red flags. And they waved their flags all the way till the end of the game. And the noise and the feeling you got looking at, you know, 20 odd thousand people, it, it, it seemed like just a sea and a wave of red and yellow. It really was uh, a moment to behold. And as I said, I'll remember that for a long time because they, they did them themselves and their club credit, you know, supported, they really did support them. They didn't leave that ground. There are many times at cup finals that I can recall in recent history where we've won a game comfortably and the other team has left early. 
uh, Arsenal and Carabao Cup springs to mind. And we were 3-0 up after about 60 minutes and half their fans had left. Watford fans, they stayed to the end um, and they, they really, truly supported their club right to the end. They don't know when they're going to get this opportunity again. So uh, I tip my hat. I tip my hat to all those fans who stuck at it, stayed to the end and cheered for their team right till the, the 93rd or 94th minute. Well Ray, well, Ray, you will remember that after that particular game, we got a lot of flack in the media, particularly from Miguel Delaney, who said that this was a travesty for British football. Yeah. Just casting your memory back to that time, I know it was a long time ago, but we're filling a gap in the BFTB pod. Ray, what were your feelings when you read the reports from journalists, particularly Delaney, about the death of English football? Well, there was Delaney with his comments there. There was Rob Harris, uh, and I thought what he... Uh, what's the right word? He, he jumped on uh, Pep in the post-match uh, press conference. Here we are. It seems just won an FA Cup final with a record evening 6 nil win. Uh, I'm sure you can tell me who else has won 6 nil in an <laughs> FA Cup final. Very, very uh, beat, I think Derby. Six nil in was that? Nineteen oh three. Yep. A long time ago. Uh, we, we need to ask Colin. Colin must have uh, remembered that game. Anyway, he's not here to defend himself. A record equaling scoreline. We absolutely smashed Watford off the park in the end. We could have scored eight, nine, ten goals that game. John Stones had a, a, a very good opportunity uh, to make it seven nil, and that would have broken all previous records. And for Rob Harris to talk about Mancini and his contract with City in the press co- post-match press conference, you know, he just jumped on on Pep and Pep was visibly angry. That's what how I felt as a, as a City fan, as a general football fan. It felt like that was not the right time to bring that up and in, in such a public way to create a bit of noise around yourself because obviously for Rob Harris and Miguel Delaney, it created a little bit of noise and splash and got there uh, a bit more publicity for each of these um, so-called journalists. I found it very distasteful, pretty crass uh, effort from them too, especially when, as I said, it was a, it was a wrong time to, to do that. They may say, well, when was a better time in front of millions watching around the world? If you're getting your facts wrong as well and you're asking things that below, I thought were below the belt and not from a... Um, the sort of stuff a professional journalist should be doing at a time like that, they'll argue differently, as I said. They'll say it's the right time. Any time to get that much publicity is the right time. But for me, they were just they were getting publicity for themselves. And I think that's what mattered most of them, their ego, their publicity, their marketability. And I'll turn it around and I'll say, at the end of the day, I fear it's just about money. Because if you can get any publicity, is good publicity. If you can get the publicity around yourself, around your name, Maybe you can make a few quid for yourself. I don't buy the fact that people like Miguel talks about human rights issues and stuff. Uh, I think that's a smoke screen. That's my personal opinion. He talks about stuff like that. And as a byproduct, you know, he makes money. This is how I, I look at lots of certain individuals. Their aim is to make money. And as a byproduct, they provide services. Like there are lots of big companies providing to the health service. Their aim is to make money. And as a byproduct, they look after patients. Um, same in the education sector, same in, in journalists. They are looking to make money. And a lot of them, it's just, it doesn't matter which, whichever way it comes. So that's my, my rant over. But I, I, I find it, as I said, very distasteful the way they go back to do their business. Well, Ray, I mean, uh, the statistics absolutely bamboozled them after that game. And probably that's what made them so angry. Because after that particular game, Man City became the first English top flight side to win 
50 to register 50 wins in all competitions in a single season. Watford lost their have at that point lost their past 11 games against City in all competitions, conceding 38 goals. And we became just the fourth team to win both major domestic competitions in the same season. And uh, a few more stats, if, if you'll bear with me. Pep Guardiola's team were only the third to score six goals in an FA Cup final. After Blackburn against Sheffield Wednesday in 1890, when they won 6-1. And Berry against Derby in 1903, when they won 6-0. And it was incredible, uh, wasn't it, Ray? And... Uh, how have Watford changed since then, as far as you're concerned? Uh, they give Javi Gracia, the, the, then, the then manager, a hint, hint, something big happened to him recently. But they give him four games to see if he could turn it around this season. And the Pozzo family, who own Watford, they don't mess about. You know, they, They're quite happy to move managers on, and they've done that with um, unerring regularity over the last few seasons. Starting the season as badly as they finished last season, Javi Grazia was only going one way. Uh, international break came and he was given the boot. Uh, I think it riled a few Watford fans that uh, I think they announced it on Twitter, of all places, and within, I think it was 24 minutes, they announced his successor in uh, Flores, who was a previous manager. So Watford had started the season badly, um, losing at home in the first game of the season to Brighton. I think it was 3-0. And Brighton were real strugglers last season. And you've got to remember that Watford, the way they finished last season, they were gunning for seventh. This, in my book, they should have got seventh. If it wasn't for that capitulation in the last uh, six games of the season, they would have got seventh. Starting the season with good players, with a team that is a top 10 team, losing four games on the bounce, it looked like nothing had changed. And uh, Javi Gracia couldn't turn it around. And I just think Watford decided, the Potsdam family, to cut their losses nice and early, choose that, that uh, opportunity uh, of the international break to get in a new manager. A bit surprising that they've gone back to a, a guy who used to be there a couple of years ago, who's gone off and not really pulled up any trees since. But at least he knows some of the players, he knows the club, he knows the staff. But I'm not sure it's wise to go back somewhere where you've not actually had that a lot of success. Um, maybe Jose Mourinho is the kind of person who can do it, but I'm not sure Chiqui Flores is, is, is of a similar ilk, a similar stature. But give them credit, and they've come out and got a two-all draw against Arsenal when they were losing 2-0 at half-time. Now, for me, some of that is Arsenal's... Um, I used to call it naivety, but it's gone on so often, it's it's not naivety anymore in defence. It's... Um, they're just really, really poor at defending. Great going forwards, fantastic goal scorers in their team. But at the back, they're, they're really, really poor. So I think it's a combination of Watford's effort and their own abilities, plus Arsenal's uh, defensive frailties that allowed Watford to get a, a two-all draw. Now, personally, I think if, I, if Arsenal had beaten them 3 or 4-0, Watford would have been in even mo- uh, bigger trouble facing City the next game. Well, Ray, I'm just going to go through the uh, the scores for Watford this particular season. The 1-1 draw to Newcastle at St. James's Park. They won 3-0 against Coventry in the EFL Cup. They lost uh, 3-1 against West Ham. 17th of August, they lost at Everton 1-0. They lost uh, 3-0 against Brighton at their own ground. Moving into September, obviously the 2-2 draw with Arsenal that uh, you mentioned. Now, Ray, any potentiality 
with new manager bounce with Dr. House, Kike Sanchez Flores, back at the helm. With new manager bounce, they're going to do against us what Norwich did. No chance. Absolutely no chance. Um, the players were really determined. They were angry. And they can't remember who said and uh, said it and in this change room and exactly what they said, but they basically said they're going to kill the next opponents. Um, and Shakhtar got it in the neck, even though we, you know, in, in midweek, um, when we Shakhtar Donetsk in the Champions League 3 0, um, we, we were good. We had a lot, we, they were poor. We had a lot of chances, which, you know, we were uh, a little bit wasteful. Uh, not scoring more than three. We should have had six, seven, eight goals against Shakhtar. But we put them to the sword. And I think Watford, um, playing it in Manchester, I expect us to put them to the sword. Not as badly as we could have done if uh, Javi Grazzi had stayed or if Arsenal had beaten them 4-0 or something like that. I think they could have been in for a real, really tough afternoon. I think they'll do better. Obviously, with the new manager bounce, they'll, they'll have a little bit of fortitude a little bit more courage. Um, uh, I, but I still like, don't, do not expect them to get anything from this game. Well, they are bottom of the league, Ray. And of course, this is um, uh, a weekend when City are playing Watford and Liverpool are playing um, Chelsea. Now, Ray, one thing that really irritated me, you know how much I love ESPN FC and those growlers like... Mm-hmm. Um, like the two Scotsmen, Craig Burley and um, and Stevie Nichol. Ni- Stevie Nichol. And um, I love that podcast. I really do because they, they just don't hang back. And I love the way that they give it to to people that deserve it. But um, Stevie Nichol's appraisal of Liverpool's loss during the week against Napoli, he just completely brushed it off. Absolutely. Yeah. no. There was no, no uh, criticism whatsoever. And that, yes, of course, I take his point that Liverpool will get through the group and they'll they'll qualify, but there was yeah. no no criticism whatsoever. That particular penalty decision and the the slackness of uh, Virgil Van Dijk, absolutely no criticism at all. Ray, what what is it with with this reluctance to criticize anything about Liverpool's performance? Even I mean, if we lost two 0 if we lost 2-0, we'd be getting it in the neck. Absolutely. Look, the media's full of uh, reds, basically, full of uh, uh, ex-Liverpool um, um, players, ex-Man United players, and that's basically why it's pretty much distorted. Let's be quite honest. It's distorted. Um, the reporting, uh, even some of the the reporters, actually, are, are reds, uh, from when they were younger, or the, the Liverpool or United fans. So we're always going to get um, this, can we call it false reporting or biased reporting uh, on, on City games? And it's always, it's happened for years, and I think it's going to happen for many, many more years to come because these guys are pretty much ingrained uh, in all the big uh, channels. So, um, look, uh, Steve Nichols right in one respect that Liverpool probably will qualify. And yes, they, I think they lost. Did they lose all three away um, group games in the Champions League? Including uh, including getting biffed by Red Bull Salzburg, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you think to yourself, um, it probably is, is right in one respect. We should criticise. I mean, surely 
surely you can criticize Ballon d'Or van Dijk. Uh, sorry, uh, Virgil van Dijk. Yeah. Um, surely the Ballon d'Or, in my opinion. Um, um, but they don't call me Mr. Magoo for nothing. If, I, if you can't see that, he's not he's not really the Ballon d'Or. He's, he had a good season last season, but he's you've got to be Mr. Mr. Magoo if you can't see that he's not, he wasn't the best player. Uh, in, in, not even in England last season, in my opinion. But anyway, um, that's by the by. It's, as I said, it's going to go on for, for many years to come where people want Liverpool to win. Um, you know, I heard someone last season, I won't say who it was, a friend of mine who does, does some work with me, who said, well, uh, halfway through the season, he said, I want Liverpool to win just because they haven't done it. <laughs> you know, and some people want it. I don't want them to win the Premier League because you saw what happened after the Champions League win. They never shut up. And if they won the Premier League, we'd hear about that for years to come. Um, so, yeah, I think many, many fans do not want Liverpool to win that Premier League title. Well, Ray, taking you back to the uh, the Cup final that we talked about yes. at the beginning of this pod, uh, there were braces for Sterling and Gabriel Jesus. Now, what do you think about uh, what would your lineup be going into the game against Watford? This is your open platform, Ray. You are Pep. Okay. You can choose whichever eleven players that you want, and we will give you a free hand. Let's go. The only commonality between me and Pep is our bald heads, but <laughs> I'll, I'll scratch my bald bonds. Okay, Edison. Yep. There's no idea there. Kyle Walker. You can't pick Cancelo yet because he's not had enough time, um, I think, uh, at City. Um, uh, obviously, the Fernandinho, who played well against Shakhtar, but didn't have much to do. Um, Otamendi and Zinchenko. Mendy's only had 10 minutes. He, it's too soon for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rodri, no other options there. Now, right First, here, here comes the critical point. Every City fan in the world will have agreed with you so far. But here we come to the number eight. KDB. No question. No question. Now. David Silva. Da- no, wait. No, Ray, 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 Ray. <laughs> now. Here we, here we come to the point. David Silva or Ilke Gundogan or no. uh, Phil Foden. No. Or Bernard- go- Bernardo I'll Silva. I'll go with, I would go with David. David's playing well enough. Uh, even though the rumours are that uh, at the end of this season when he leaves City, he'll go to America. I'm not too fond of that idea. Uh, you know, he's still at a very good level. Uh, you know, if he was going to carry on playing football at a high level, I'd like him to stay with us. He, he promised but us I'll, that he would go back still, to Las Palmas, didn't he? That's what I was thinking. And, 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 you, and if, if that's what he did, then, you know, you would, it'd, be, it'd be easier to take. Uh, but look, he's, on the other hand, he's given us... He'd have given us 10 years fantastic service, so he, he, he's obviously entitled to do whatever he, he chooses, and he'll go with our best wishes. But I would go with David Silva. I was tossing up between David Silva and Bernardo, but I don't think Bernardo's had a great start to the season. He, I want to say he's a shadow of the player that was last season, but last season he was awesome. He was the best player uh, in Europe and the world, in my opinion, for what he achieved, for what he won, and the way he did it. Um, so... But I don't think he started the season on, on, on the same level of fire as he was last season. So I'll go with David Silva up front. I will have Riyad Mahrez. Mm-hmm. I will have 
Sergio Guerrero and Raheem Sterling. Raheem Sterling, last couple of games, not so great after the uh, international uh, break. But look, he's he's just ready to fire. He's at such quality that you can't drop him. Could you tell me about the difference between uh, Raheem on the left and Raheem on the right? Raheem on the right, part of the reason is when we've got a good player on the left. And that's usually been Leroy Sane. Uh, but we haven't got anybody at the moment. So that's one of the reasons Raheem plays on the left. Another one of the reasons Raheem plays on the left is that he can cut in and shoot with his right foot. When he's playing on the right wing, he can't do that. If he was to cut in and shoot with his left, I think we'd uh, you know, still be looking for the ball uh, in the crowd. So being able to cut in onto his right foot and curl the ball into the far corner, we saw him do that last season a few times. Um, the game against Southampton springs to mind when he scored that last minute late, late when it was about, about 95, 96, 97 minutes. And he'll put, put it into that far uh, corner. So when you're cut, cutting in from the left-hand side, you can do that. When he's on the right-hand side, like he was in the cup final, he was on the right-hand side, He, I think he gets more tap-ins where someone on the left has put the ball in uh, to the box or the six-yard area, and he comes steaming in from the right, and he has a tap-in, as I said, like he did in the cup final. So I think that's a major difference. Um, when he's on the left, I think he stays out on the left a little bit more, and he can cut in and uh, take pot shots at that far, far corner. Gabby J or Sergio Aguero for this game? Oh, it has to be Sergio. He's the man. Okay, Ray, so my opening question for you is this one. How did the game, Man City against Watford, when you think of it as a whole, how did it differ from the game between Man City and Norwich? Uh, Mike, well, I think it's something, if you listen to Pep in his post-match press conference, he basically talks about this. What, what he said was, in the first, whatever, 20 minutes or so, we had five chances and we scored from each and every one of those five chances. Watford had two chances and they didn't score. And for me, that kind of sums up City. We had a whole host of chances in, in most of the games we played this season. In some games we score and we're a little bit more clinical. Uh, in other games we don't score. And in, in some games the opposition are very clinical with the chances they have. A prior example was that Spurs game where we had was it 30 shots and we scored two goals. Tottenham had two shots on target and they scored two goals. We just weren't clinical enough. Against Norwich, you could say the same, I think Pep said, they had four shots on target and they scored three goals. We had plenty of opportunities and we just did not hit the target often enough. We just weren't clinical enough. Against Watford, it's just one of those. We were fortunate, clinical, call it what you will, but we had, I think, 29 shots and <laughs> eight of them went in. So you compare and contrast that with, as I said, with Spurs, where we had 30 or 29 and we scored two. We were just, uh, I, I use that word for about the fifth time, clinical. And that makes a difference. And the other team weren't, you know, if, and, and it's all if, buts and maybes. But if uh, Delefoyou had scored from his chance after, in the fourth minute, that could have been a different game. I mean, goals change matches. VAR disallowing goals, that changes matches as well. But goals change matches. That that makes a, such a huge difference. I mean, what what could have happened was, you know, would City have uh, panicked a little bit, or would they be thinking back to the Norwich game, or you know, or would they just step on the gas again and and demolish uh, Watford eight one or ten one? We just don't know what would have happened, but the game could have been very much different 
um, you know, and, and a lot of it's about confidence as well. So, as I said, that's the diff- that's for me it was the difference. We were putting the sh- uh, chances away, and they weren't. Yeah, I think. I mean, that could have happened to City many times before. It didn't, but um, uh, we can think of many games where if City had simply scored from all the chances they created, uh, this kind of scoreline, you know, would have, you know, been achieved probably a lot more. But um, yeah, anyway, Ray, as an organising principle for getting us through this pod and, and covering everything, I thought what we could do is run through the lineup and uh, just talk about each person's contribution to the game because most of them had a pretty significant contribution. And also it kind of works quite well because on your channel, you've actually um, gone through each of the players with your uh, guests and given them a score out of 10. Not asking you to do that tonight, but what we can do is just talk about a little bit about each person's uh, contribution to the game. And by the time we reach the end, we will have pretty much covered most of, if not all of the events that significantly impacted uh, this game. We'll start off with Ederson in goal. Now, how did he play for you, Ray? He didn't have, let's be honest, he didn't have an awful lot to do. Um, He was a mixed bag for me. Mostly good. Um, as I said, that Delafoy chance uh, after four minutes, uh, Edison deflected it wide. That's the good of Edison. There was, an, I think, a chance on, on the 38th minute where he was there to do what he needed to do. But there was also, we saw the rash Edison. I think there was a ball knocked through and Fernandinho looked like he had it covered. He was chasing the attacker. And Edison decided that, well, he needed to come out instead. And he went to uh, wide uh, for that. Uh, he, he ended up in no man's land. Fernandinho went back to cover the goal and the shot was, I think, weak and wide uh, anyway from about, whatever, 20, 25 yards. So we saw the, the best and worst of Edison, I think. Um, but overall, he had a good game. I remember one uh, chance he helped to create by bowling the ball out uh, down the wing and I think ended up with, was it Mares there passing to KDB? Mares or Walker passing to KDB. He put a cross in. And uh, Aguero hit the post. Uh, it would have been an absolutely fabulous team goal. Um, so overall, I think he had a decent game. Um, as I said, he didn't have tr- a tremendous amount to do. Uh, and, and generally, apart from that one aberration, he did it pretty well. What about now? One person I find difficult to talk too much about is Kyle Walker. What do you think about Kyle Walker for the length of time that he lasted? He lasted about I think fifty-two minutes. Um, it was a funny thing with Kyle. Um, I mean, look, uh, Watford were powder puff for most of the game, and especially the first half, we were just, you know, driving uh, a bulldozer through uh, through through nothing, through paper. Uh, their defence was was so poor uh, so often. The one thing I, I I do recall about Kyle Walker at one point in that game, I mean, he was industrious, charging up up and down the pitch as normal. But the one thing I remember at one point in that game. I looked and I thought, hang on, what's going on? Kyle Walker was basically playing right wing and Kevin De Bruyne was playing right back. That's where they were. I mean, it kind of shows the versatility of a lot of our players and the interchangeability of their positions as well, um, that Kyle Walker could be so far advanced down the pitch. So I think he had a, a, a decent enough game. There's nothing that sticks in my mind. I mean, there was so much going on. There's so many moments of action that it's quite easy to forget um, bits and pieces of the game but I don't think a Walker did anything uh, that sticks in my mind uh, to think to, to give him a down tick 
for any of his plays. So he had a, a good enough game, in my opinion. Now, what about his replacement on 54 minutes? I can see uh, Cancelo. Um, now, this is the this is the longest this is the longest we've got to see him. What did you make of him? He did all right. Um, you know, it, it's 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 a funny one as well because look, it was that sort of game. He came on. We were winning six nil at the time, so it, it's probably not the the best opportunity to judge him. Um, didn't he? Didn't he have a really big role in Kevin De Bruyne's goal? Because he, as I recall, he set off on this run, run right to the edge of the box and uh, wriggled free and got the pass off. And uh, it wasn't quite a pre-assist, but his sort of moment, momentum was yeah. sort of set that set that goal up in a way. Yeah, I remember. I remember that. Now you mentioned he was coming from the right and. Um, he went basically just breezed past a couple of players. He had, a, I think, a ricochet in his uh, in his favour. Um, he, he did seem to when he got into the other half. He was like in the middle of the pitch, quite central, and it's kind of like he kind of lost his bearings. Um, but he, he kept the ball. He laid it off, and then someone uh, I can't remember now who laid it um, to uh, was it Mares who laid it to KDB um, who let fly with an, an awesomely, stunningly powerful shot into the roof of the net. And so we 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 saw basically in that moment that uh, Joao Cancelo is a player who's going to be looking to rampage up that pitch even more than Kyle Walker. I think he he looks from and from what I'd seen in um, on YouTube beforehand, he looks like he's a much better dribbler than Kyle Walker. He's hopefully going to put in some stunning crosses, even though Kyle I think has improved a little bit. Uh, and Kyle works well with Mares and and. and uh, KDB, I've got to give him credit for that. But Cancelo looks like he's going to, in some games, add a totally new and different dimension uh, to our attacking play down the right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like you've got the pronunciation down, uh, Ray. So, um, yeah, so, so throw that one at us again. Pronounce that properly for everyone. Well, according to the UEFA web- website, it's Joao Cancelo. Joao Cancelo, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people have been saying Cancelo, and it's not, it's Cancelo, Cancelo, and of course, yep, absolutely right, that is the correct way to pronounce uh, Joao, a lot of people mangle that one as well, um, for the purposes of this pod, I can uh, help you out a little bit with the other one that we've talked about, Delofeo, Delofeo. Yeah, I never said that, Delofeo. Yeah, it's very, it's quite a difficult one, that's the guy that... Um, was the main focus of their attacking threat. But uh, moving on, Mr. Otamendi, one goal and one assist. What do you think about his performance, Ray? Well, um, in, in, in their penalty box, he was all right, weren't he? Uh, and it's like the Otamendi of old in, in the opposition penalty box. It's a long, it's a fair old while since he scored a goal, if I remember correctly. I mean, there was a time a couple of seasons ago when he was regularly in the early part of the season getting headed, headed goals. Um, so it's it's good to see. Look, I mean, can you imagine a centre back um, sliding in at the far post to score a goal, uh, let alone the fifth goal? So it, 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 yeah. So you know, give him a lot of credit for that. The the assist from a corner. Yeah, look, you know, he got up. Uh, uh, it's it's good to see him happy. I think he had a few creaky moments in, in the early stages of the game as well, which is normal for City. We we give up chances. And rely on the other teams not scoring or us scoring more than them. But you know, in a, in a game where you win in eight 0 it's very hard to mark any players down. And generally, no one did. No one was poor uh, enough to be marked down. So he had a, 
a good enough game. As I said, most of it was really concentrated um, in in their in their half, really, or in an attacking sense. Mm-hmm. That's right. So he actually set up Bernardo's first goal. There was an in swinging corner from uh, out swinging corner from Kevin De Bruyne that was um, met in the air by Otamendi, who flicked it on for uh, Bernardo. And, of course, Bernardo headed that in for his first. Absolutely. Bernardo stooped and conquered. That's um, right. And he also, of course, as uh, Ray has pointed out, scored in a very undefender-like way to score. He um, That was uh, David Silva taking the very, very quick um, free kick and uh, putting Sergio Aguero through, and this time Sergio played the role of putting the ball across um, yeah. across the box, right in front of the goalkeeper, and uh, who comes sliding in? No, it's not anybody else that you would think. It was actually Otamendi. Now, Otamendi, uh, sorry, Ray, Otamendi was replaced on the 63rd minute by young Eric Garcia. Um, did you get much of a... An impression um, from this game about Garcia, and I bet you're probably going to use adjectives like unflappable and stuff like that, aren't you? No, I'm not. I don't know such strong words, Michael. Um, Eric Garcia, he just confirmed what uh, the promise I'd seen in the preseason tour in America last season, where Pep said he was playing like a 23 or 24 year old, even though he was, I think, 17 at the time. It was like he had. Uh, old, uh, an old head on young shoulders. He was, uh, and now I will use some adjectives that I've used before, cool, calm, um, and collected, and he could sniff out danger. Uh, and he was, uh, now that you mentioned unflappable, he was unflappable. Um, but the the thing is, and uh, he's, he's, he's probably one of the most, even more than Joao Cancelo or Rodri, he's one of the most handsome players uh, in, in the team. Um so he's got it all. He's got the skill. Uh, he's got the looks, um, and he's got. Um, I mean, watching the game, look, he 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 covered for other people. Uh, from, there was an odd mistake here and there, and he'd be there like Fernandinho was to to cover up for other people's slight mistakes. Um, and I, I think in the press conference, it was interesting that Pep talked about Eric Garcia. He I think he said he'd be playing against Preston in the Carabao Cup. He was definitely going to start. And he also said in the warm-up, you know, City weren't sure how um, Watford would line up, whether they play five at the back or four at the back. And apparently Eric Garcia, during the warm-up, he was observant. He was watching uh, the um, the setup of uh, Watford and he came back and reported to Pep that they were going to play four at the back. And it's like, wow, you're 18 years old, you know, and you're picking up on every little minute detail and you want to be it looks like the best you can possibly be. And you've got that potential to be uh, a defender of the, uh, you know, a top class defender. So I'm really enthused. I'm really excited by Eric Garcia. Uh, I have been ever since I first saw him play for City in the preseason uh, games last summer. I, I think he's a fantastic talent. And I, I said before the season started, especially when we didn't recruit anybody as Vincent Company's uh, replacement, that Eric Garcia would be this season would be our number four centre-back. That was my feeling, um, that he'd be number four. I didn't expect, obviously, the injuries, injuries to Laporte and Fernandinho to drop back into uh, to centre-back so quickly. Um, but I thought by the end of the season, Garcia would be definitely number four, possibly number three defender. I, I think he can push 
uh, Otamendi and John Stones very hard for a starting spot next season. I'll tell you who's better than a lot of them, Ray, based on what I've seen, and someone who dev- who, who knows someone who, who does really fit the adjective unflappable is the next one on our list. Now, Fernandinho has come in as the emergency method, uh, the emergency um, measure uh, to cover in uh, the absence of Stones and uh, Laporte. And I would tell you, I would guess that five, six games from now, people will be saying that second only to Laporte at centre-back is Fernandinho. What do you think? I've already said it. I did it on uh, one of my uh, reviews, I think, uh, yes, yesterday or after the game. I actually said, um, I, actually, I think I did it, maybe even one of my previews with one, with one of the Preston North End channels that I work with. I work with a couple uh, for the game tomorrow. I said Fernandinho is already, in my eyes, the number two to um, Laporte as a defender. Now, I think that he'd been training as a, a or retraining as a centre-back for the last three weeks. Um, once uh, Laporte, especially I think after Laporte was injured. And I, I, I felt, and also because of the way Rodri had settled so comfortably and wonderfully into our team, that Fernandinho would play more at, at centre-back, um, purely because we want to play Rodri as much as possible. He's all, what, 22 years old. I don't think he's as good as Fernandinho yet, but I think in one or two seasons, he'll be better than Fernandinho ever was. Um, he just needs to learn a bit more, like we've said, a bit of the dark arts, uh, a bit more of um, um, how to chase back hard, uh, the way Fernandinho does. Um, and yeah, in, in a couple of years, he'll be, he'll be better than I think Fernandinho ever was. Um, so it was it felt natural for Fernandinho to go play at centre-back. The same way Pep has retrained Javier Mascarano, who wasn't a particularly tall guy, a defensive midfielder, as, into a centre-back at Barcelona. And he won countless trophies with them. Um Fernandinho just looks class, absolute oozes class, and um, quite comfortably he's second to Laporte at the moment. He can't believe he's 34 years old as well, um, and I, I think he's probably got this season and next easily in him, especially if he's going to play centre-back. And it could be. You know, I, I can honestly see us having uh, four centre-backs next season, which comprises of Laporte, Fernandinho, Eric Garcia, and John Stones. Mm. Let's move on to Benjamin Mendy. And we got a, yeah, I've just, I'm, I'm loving the way that, um, the French pronounce, uh, Benjamin is Benjamin. So Benjamin Mendy, Benjamin Mendy, uh, we got, um, a total of 45 minutes out of Benjamin Mendy. Um, little bit of a mixed bag. A lot of people say, what was your take on your first look at Benjamin Mendy for uh, a half of a football game for the first time in, in, in a long time? Got to be honest, I was surprised he started. Um, you know, having only played something like 10 minutes in the previous game, I, I, I really didn't expect him to start at all. So um, Pep's always pulling a fast one on us, throwing us that curveball. I'm sure most people might have hoped he started, but wouldn't have expected it, considering he's been injured for so long. I think um, I was glad he was taken off after 45 minutes and wasn't injured. That was my my only concern. Uh, I don't think he was fit enough, um, match fit, um, in his first game. He made one that I remember glaring error, a pass 
to in, in the first in that, that fourth minute that led to the Delafeo. I can't even say that Delafeo, Delafeo, Delafeo opportunity, and that was a as bad a pass you could as you could expect to see anywhere at any time. It was a really poor pass, um, and considering he was down the left and he was attacking, and considering uh, you know we were in an attacking phase and people were going forward, that left us depleted at the back um, and that helps create that uh, that opportunity so that was a poor poor bit but once again um, he's getting up he, obviously it's going to take him time to get up to speed but we saw some of his crossing ability some of his marauding play down the left and fingers crossed if he stays fit this season and gets back to the level of last season and the season before with us and hopefully a little bit better dare I say it nobody will be uh, worrying about the loss of Leroy Sane because I think Mendy, especially with the way he crosses the ball, um, he offers us something incredible. And and I'm just my mind boggles at the thought of Mendy putting crosses in from the left, Cello putting crosses in from the right, De Bruyne putting crosses in from slightly deeper. Um, my head is ready to explode because we 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 could end up with three of the best crosses. Uh, of a ball in the Premier League playing for City in the same game. It, it's going to be a nightmare uh, for defenders to and the goalkeeper to try and counteract um, uh, our wonderful wizardry on the wings. That's right. I think that the policy probably is for Mendy to do 45 minutes in this game, maybe 60 minutes for a couple of games um, in the next few weeks, and then finally to get him up to 90. But yeah, I agree with everything you said there, Ray. Now, he was substituted at halftime, and on came Angelino. Now, I was really taken aback. He had such a bad preseason. Uh, well, it, I wouldn't say a bad pre, but you know, he put in a couple of very dodgy performances in preseason. And who was this young chap bombing up the wing? Now, you talked about Mendy. Um, you know, getting back a little bit to what he did best with a few runs up the wing. But my goodness, Angelino has you know done that, and he. He was very reminiscent in his crossing of Benjamin Mendy. Look at the cr- look at the crossing on Angelino. What did you think, Ray? Well, Angelino, um, look, uh, I think you were very generous in your description of his play uh, in the preseason games because he was he was pants. There's, there's no other word for it. He was he was really poor. Was it Ryan? Was it Ryan Fredericks from West Ham riding on his backside um, in the game against them? And uh, I think he gave a penalty away, and he should have given a second penalty away. He was out, out of his depth, and people said he's got no future at City. But he's a kid who wants to be here, like Zinchenko. He's a kid who's going to work really, really hard and wait and hope for his opportunity, like Zinchenko did. You know, Zinchenko uh, looked like he was on his way out. Um, he just stuck around and. Through um, injuries to other people like Mendy and Delph, Zinchenko got his chance, took it with both hands, and now Delph has left and, and Zinchenko's got a new contract. And it's similar with Angelino, he's come back to City. It's a surprise. A lot of people, me included, thought it might just be um, that we keep him for a season and flog him on uh, because, you know, we get him back, uh, that the buyback clause is very uh, favourable to us, it was very cheap, and he's worth three or four times as much. Uh, as we paid for him uh, from PSV Eindhoven. So it was good, so, but he surprised me. He surprised me. And obviously he's worked really, really hard on the training ground. Um, and once again, okay, your confidence should be high. 
when you're coming on the pitch when we're winning whatever the score was uh, five nil at the time, and and it's it's pretty much an easy it is an easy game, but. Give the guy credit, the young man credit. He puts in put in some wonderful crosses. He worked well on the left with whoever was um, you know on the left at the time, whether it was David or whoever. So full credit to him. You know, it takes a lot to come back from the performances that he showed uh, in the summer. I think he's still only twenty two years old, and he might just end up being more than a, uh, you know a, a player to make up the numbers and to be flogged on next season. It might just be that uh, he could be the understudy to Ben Mendy and Zinchenko could end up going back into midfield, playing it as a, a DM, as a second pivot, or even as an attacking midfielder uh, when 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 needs, when needs be. Rodri, I think everybody who watches Rodri, when I've done my um, uh, player ratings with the uh, viewers on the channel, he always does really, really well. No one has a bad word to say for Rodri. And it is amazing the way he's just slotted in to this team um, like that. He And he's, what, another one who's, was it, 22 years old? And uh, he's got so much potential. I do remember the uh, ex-manager of Spain, Luis Gar- was it Luis Garcia? Um, mm. And uh, he said that he, I think what, his, his comments were something like, he is better than Busquets, and who knows what his level will be. And I, that blew my mind. How can you say something like that? You know, he can be better than Busquets, and who knows where his level is going to be? And I thought maybe that's you know just the old uh, Pepesque hyperbole speaking, just to give the guy confidence. And it, but it isn't. The guy is that good. Um, he hardly ever misplaces a pass. I mean, there's been games where I can't remember which game, 68 passes. 68 passes completed. Uh, I don't know what the stats were for this game, but it must be, you know, in the high 90s. Um, and he's doing that every single, almost every single game. His pass completion is incredible. He he can carry the ball as well. So, he, but, you know, you're not just looking at a player who can do long passes, short passes, but you've got a player who can dribble quite comfortably, set up goals. Um, he's almost... The complete package. And as I said earlier, if you can learn it just a little bit from Fernandinho this season and next, some more of the dark arts that are required at this at this level um, and, and accept that you have to run a bit harder coming back. I mean, what a phenomenal player we've got for us. That could be uh, the top of his game for at least 10 years. I think and he's be- probably got um, a little bit of the dark arts about him because we heard the interview earlier in the season by Jack Wilshire who was saying that um, Rodri left one on him. Um, And I think that he can improve, as you said, I've mentioned a few times, Ray, that he sometimes does not, it doesn't bust a gut getting back on the recovery runs. And he could, he's, he's he's shown a willingness to take a shot from far out. And uh, they've so far, of course, he scored one goal and he's had a couple uh, just go a little bit wide, but um, I think that Pep should probably encourage that because notice that he's not um, not like Fernandinho does a lot of the time, uh, shooting them high over the bar. Um, he's keeping them nice and low, but they're 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 going a little bit wide at the moment. But if he develops that part of his game, um, then he can be a very very useful weapon as I think well. More than, more than useful, I think. You know, as I said, he's he's young, and that's a fantastic thing about this city side. Now we're talking about Angelino, twenty two. We're talking about. 
Uh, Rodri, I think he's 22 as well. Uh, Mendy, okay, he's turned 26, but his body's probably a few years younger because he's missed that many games. We're talking about Eric Garcia, 18 years old. Um, we're talking about uh, Cancelo, I, I think he's in his mid-20s. We're talking about a lot of players who are young and actually probably still far from their prime, as well as other players who are coming into their prime, like Mares and KDB. And that's without uh, even even mentioning guys like uh, Sterling, Bernardo Silva, Leroy Sani, if he stays there, all in their early 20s. So, well, I, mean, yeah. I think Sterling's 24, Bernardo's about 24 as well, and Sani's... I think he, a, year, a year or a year younger. So it is, it's, it's just an incredible. And Jesus as well, 22. Just to think that we've got seven, eight, nine players, if you include Foden as well, who are age 24 or under, who can quite easily be part of the City first team for four or five seasons. I mean, John Stones and Laporte are only, I think, 26, 25, 26 years old. It's just... Um, I use that word phrase again. It's, it blows your mind when you think about it. Uh, you know, and think, you know, hopefully we can keep Pep for a few more years whilst these guys develop. And it's it's hard to imagine that we can get better, but you know that's what Pep strives for, and I hope we do. Yeah, just mentioning Pep. Um, of course, we all heard the, the the song. There's nobody better than Pep and Arteta. Um, you've um, you've no doubt heard that um, Pep seems to be pretty confident that when it, when it comes time for him to go. That um, Mr. Arteta, the man with the one of the greatest um, hairlines in uh, in the history of football, it looks like a little action man, doesn't he? But uh, he 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 would be the one that will take over. Would you be happy with that? We couldn't argue against it. I mean, he's been with Pep uh, at City now. This is his fourth season, if I get my numbers right. Um, and. He's got obviously a lot of experience in the Premier League, having played for Everton and Arsenal. He obviously, coming from Spain, he's got uh, experience on the continent. Even if he, I think he spent a season at PSG, so he's got a lot of playing experience behind him. And now, as Pep's assistant, four years that's a lot uh, of time as an assistant. He's had the opportunities to go elsewhere. He's thought about it, but he stuck it out at City. And you know, who knows when Pep's time has come. We we don't know how much of an influence Arteta has, uh, or whether it's Pep just been totally dominant or domineering, uh, and his assistants are you know are quiet in the background or whatever. We don't know what Arteta would be like if he's promoted. Let's hope that day doesn't come for many years. Uh, and the longer Arteta stays uh, as assistant to Pep, obviously, the more he'll learn from him, the more he'll contribute uh, from himself. And, and then the more chance he'll have of fitting in at City if uh, that comes to pass, that Pep leaves in eight, eight years' time or something. And yeah, I don't, I don't mind it. If, 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 Pep, if Pep stays long enough to get a testimonial, I'll be very happy. Well, <clears throat> moving on, uh, Ray, someone who doesn't really quite fit into the category of uh, the young upcomers that uh, we've been talking about, but someone who was rolling the years back a little bit was uh, Senor David Silva. What did you think of his role in this game? Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, you know, um, that first goal. goal. Yeah. That first goal. I mean, that first goal, you watched him ghost. I mean, it was it was too easy from the Watford defence, but you watched him ghost pass. As soon as that ball was coming to KDB, you saw David Silva edging forward. I think KDB just rolled it forward under it with his, um, with his studs. And 
David Silva made his move. He knew what, obviously what K, KDB was doing, obviously on the same wavelength, and uh, he was in the right place at the right time. Um, if he didn't get it, I think Aguero was coming in as well. That's how Paul Watford were in the first minute. Such and, a uh, sweet half volley, wasn't it? It was like, oh, so beautifully, so, beautifully struck. So nice. The half volley is one of the most beautiful things out there. Um, you know, whether you hit it on on a football or anything that you do on a half volley, it's just a sweet feeling. Um, and so that that first goal, and then once again, he's there controlling the game, the tempo. And setting up either assisting or the pre-assist. Yeah, he put uh, that uh, lovely quick uh, free kick in free kick, for Aguero to square for Otamendi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, and, and that that goal came from that quick free kick. Um, so many uh, opportunities that he helps to create. Um, you know, and the news at the end of last week that he might be going to uh, Inter Miami. To Miami is going to MLS after he leaves City. It's, it would be a bit of a disappointment, I'll be honest, because um, he's still at, at the top of his game and City wanted to keep him. Um, That's you know, very, not... very far from being yeah. um, settled. I mean, he, he I've actually read his comments about that when he says he, he simply refused to confirm or deny and people have taken that as evidence that it's happening. It's very far, very far from certain. Yeah. The thing is, obviously City wanted to negotiate a new contract with him and he says, said, I mean, he's, he's not going to, Stay ten years is a long time, and also, um, if he does go back to Las Palmas, he's, he wants to go while he's still in a, a very good high level. But also, he's seen his mates leave. You know, in the ten years he's been uh, nine and a bit years, he's seen some big mates leave, like Yaya Toure, like Zabaleta, like um, Vincent Company, and uh, Samir Nasri. And- yeah, but I'm not sure. So, uh, but, but, <laughs> but Sammy was here for what three years, three and a half years. I can't remember now. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But no, but I'm just saying, if you've been here for three or four, or five years, you'd be, you know, you uh, let's call it mates. Um, so he's, he's seen some of his long-term pals go, um, and you know, he's apart from him and Aguero. I mean, that's it. So it's it's a shame. But look, he's still he's still putting out quality performances. He's still putting out those seven, eight, eight and a half out of tens on a regular basis, uh, and you can see why. You know he's one of the first names on on the team sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, coming into the last, the final stages of this little pod for you guys. Um, I hope you're enjoying it. The next one that I'm going to mention is the Algerian prince, and uh, he's very, very quickly becoming my favourite player, Riyad Mahrez Ray. Let's add a few thousand Algerian followers to the bolt from the blue by bigging up the Algerian prince. What did you think? Uh, Riyad Mahrez is now, I think, getting close to be putting in the, the level and kind of performances that we hope to be doing last season. Um, the kind of performance he did, performances we would seek it, uh, on a regular basis in Leicester's uh, title-winning season. I think he, last season, he, for me, he struggled with confidence. You know, he was a big fish in a small pond at Leicester. No question about that. And he could basically get away with uh, doing what he wanted if, at times because he was, you could argue, that mercurial to that team, that championship-winning team at Leicester. Now, Ray, in know. this particular game, he he actually um, he won the penalty that Sergio scored. He won his he won his own free kick, which he then uh, slammed obligingly off the face of Cleverly. Into the into the goal 
for for his own goal. So that's two goals. And I think um, people have pointed out that he played a significant role, if not necessarily um, the assists, certainly pre-assists and wonderful uh, passes uh, down the right for uh, uh, Kevin De Bruyne. He played a, a, a really healthy role in a lot of the goals in this 8-0 win. He is really, really beginning to to uh, to purr and simmer in this particular uh, Pep style of play. Well, so, so I said, he's doing what we thought he might do last season. I thought, and I, I said, to, I did a, a piece for DZ Football. Uh, they're a channel that do uh, talk about Algerian football, but um, they, they do it in English, um, the version I did for them, talking about what Mahrez's role would be. And, and I said, I think, as I said earlier, he, he struggled a bit last season. But this season, it's like he's got that confidence. He knows Pep trusted him at the end of last season, in the last, I think, couple of games of the season, especially that uh, game at Brighton, um, where he's got a good goal. And if you haven't uh, seen that goal set to the music of um, Celine Dion, My Heart Will Go On, you <laughs> should, because it's absolutely amazing. He's coming into his own now. He's coming... He's And I, as I said, I think he struggled a bit being that he was... a he was just an ordinary fish in a big pond at City. And now I think he feels more at home, feels more comfortable. Um, he feels, well, he's starting more games. Uh, and as I said to somebody the other day, look at the games he started for City this season. We've won 5-0, 4-0, 3-0 and 8-0. So um, it might just be a coincidence, but the results are coming in. Um, and he's having a significant influence on games which is fantastic to see. Uh, and it's great because uh, opposition teams have got another person to worry about, another person to think about um, that can create havoc, create chances and score goals. You know, he's happy, more than happy to shoot from well outside the box. And that's just another string to the City ball. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's come to the next player on our list. There's just a few more left now. And this one I'm going to mention now is uh, Bernardo Silva. And he's got himself into a little bit of a stew on uh, social media by uh, basically uh, joshing around with his good buddy, uh, Benjamin Mendy, and uh, putting up a, a little um, a little photo which um, has a, has a, a, a ch- the, the child Mendy on one side. And then we've got a character from a chocolate-covered peanut advert on on the right side. And they're having a little private joke with each other. Um, uh, Mr. Mendy um, responds um, very uh, amusingly to it. These guys obviously have got a rapport between them. But unfortunately, in this particular current climate, um, they probably should have kept that joshing around private rather than Put out there, put out there for the for for the general uh, public uh, to see, because obviously it's got some people very hot under the collar, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a looks like a bit of a storm in the, the teacup to me, Ray. What, what what before we talk about his contribution to the game? What what was your take on that? Um, it's it's di- it's difficult. One of the issues we've got we've got you could argue a clash of cultures. Um, in some cultures, what he did would be considered uh, normal, acceptable. Uh, I think in in Spain and Portugal, that appears to be a more acceptable way to behave. The, the caricatures of, of other people. Some some people said that it's it's a racist stereotype that shouldn't be 
what's the right word that shouldn't that shouldn't be used let's say um and it's difficult because i mean it's got some people have it's a really polar opinions here some people said oh it's terribly racist um and you shouldn't have done it and it's disgusting and you've got other people who say, well, no, it's, it's joshing between mates. It means nothing. Mendy's not offended. Why uh, are you snowflakes offended? So it's got, in these days, people are just uh, tends to be, uh, uh, their opinions are at polar opposites. It's the thing is, true. Ray, why this puts Man City in a, a little bit of a difficult position is because they recently got rid of the two chaps from uh, the City Sausage podcast. They were obviously uh, part-time workers for City on match day, and uh, those those guys lost their jobs basically for 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 basically doing a little bit of um a nineteen ni- the nineteen eighties mind your language program where they were sort of impersonating foreigners' uh, voices, and that got them the sack. So you can see how it might be a little bit of a headache for the PR department at Man City, can't you? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean. And I don't think it helped matters. Uh, it's like pouring pouring a little bit of oil onto a small fire. When Bernardo Silva, once you saw the storm, it might. I think it might have been prudent just to say, "Sorry, guys. Um, you know, I, I, I messed up a little bit here. I didn't mean it in in a bad way. Um, we're having fun between friends, and I apologise if anybody's offended. I think that probably for most people would have put it to bed, but he. He, he didn't. He deleted it, yes, but he made a comment a bit like Mike yeah. McLean's from the City Sausage, and he said, don't you guys have a sense of humour anymore? And, and that, that was not that, what we expected. <laughs> that's, that was fanning the flames. Uh, and, you know, it, it's it's a PR thing, you know. It is PR. It, it's something that, it, with all the education and training the, the guys go through on that side of things, they can still make mistakes. Uh, and that's what I think this is. You know, I'm, I'm reluctant to say one way or the other. I'm, I'm not sitting on the fence, but it is a kind of grey area. How do you approach this? Is it offensive? It, some people say it's only Mendy can say if it's offensive or not. I don't agree, 100% agree with that. It all depends on context. Context is so important. Um, even between your friends, you can say things that someone might not uh, comp- you know, be offended by, but Third parties might be. It's very complicated. Now, some and people, said, some people have reacted by putting up a, a similar image, which you can say probably wouldn't have got the same uh, reaction. And what they've done is they've put a picture of a young Bernardo Silva on one side, and that particular um, uh, product, those chocolate-covered peanuts. I think one uh, one of them is um, a white one, and. Uh, and they've placed that alongside it's something that Mendy could have done in response, but you could imagine that that wouldn't have got anybody half as, half as worked up. That, and I think that's one of the issues. Uh, I think the argument is, would you? It's like people who put Kevin De Bruyne picture up and the Milky Bar Kid picture up as well. I think the difference is the argument is the the ones of KDB and the Milky Bar Kid and the one of Bernardo Silva. They would be. The caricatures are the, the the second half of the picture are not thought of as rich, racist stereotypes. Um, whereas the Ben Mendy one, um, that would be considered more of a racist a stereotype. And I think that's what's got some people's goats up. And I, it's, a, it's a delicate issue. My, but my feeling is, I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, obviously the FA are looking into this. They're going to investigate. 
and people are calling for a six-match uh, ban. Uh, I think if you're if you guilty of something on the pitch, I think it's six-match ban uh, as a minimum. Um, and I, personally, I don't agree with that. Um, I think things have to be taken in, in context, and sometimes, uh, and in the cultural uh, effects as well, or the implica- not implications, but the cultural background to, to this story uh, and this incident, my feeling is it, it should be it should be just he should be reminded of his responsibilities and, and et cetera, et cetera. And that's it. The the worry is the, the FA have set precedents in the past. Look at was it Hamza Chowdhury who said some things when he was a kid and he ended up getting banned. Other people have said things when they were kids, you know, four or five years ago when they were young teenagers um on social media and the FA have come down hard on them. So that is a concern. Um, but I think we'll just have to wait to see how it plays out. But I think everybody, you know, I think it's in some quarters it's been blown up too much. Uh, and in other quarters, people have played it down too much. Um, and, you know, sometimes you, you feel it's sucking the fun out of life um, at times. And, you know, it's, as I said, it's a difficult one to say which side of the line it should be. Well, Ray, let's let, let's just let's 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 focus a, a little bit on um, Bernardo's uh, performance on the pitch. Now he scored a hat trick in anyone else's book. That's an absolute shoe in for man of the match. I'm mm. going to disagree slightly. No, yeah. and that's why I'm putting off a certain other person. <laughs> person, uh, you've noticed that, did you? Ah, oh, you've seen through my cunning plan. I've been putting a certain other player off who should really have been named. Uh, by now, if you look at how the lineups normally go. But let's talk about Bernardo. Scored a hat-trick. You, of course, he was set up nicely by uh, Ota Mendy with that flick on from the Kevin De Bruyne corner for his first goal. And then, of course, he was uh, effectively put through by David Silva for the next one and um, his uh, his own sort of dogged persistence and um, the way that he... Um, scored his uh, final goal, showed his own doggedness and persistence. So, um, Ray, explain to me why that after that someone who can score a hat-trick should not be man of the match, as both of us are probably going to argue. Well, I, I can see through your cunning plan, Baldrick. Um, you've uh, omitted uh, one Kevin De Bruyne. Bruno, I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll defer to your pronunciation uh, skill. You are a cunning linguist, as they uh, they tell me. Um, no, Kevin, Kevin De Bruno, he was he was fantastic. Uh, I still, some people give him a ten out of ten. I I, I don't give that those marks out quite easily. Uh, I think he's still got things to improve upon. You know, he's he's not played a perfect game. He played a very an incredibly effective. Uh, and a glorious game with the passes that he puts in are second to none. There is nobody else I can see out there, especially in the Premier League, who puts the ball on a plate for the strikers and midfielders and whoever's coming through as good, or not even half as good as Kevin. So, you know, that, that first goal for, for, for David Silva, he just put it into a zone that, the goalie couldn't get it. The defenders were struggling to get it. And David Silva said, thank you very much. Easy tapping. And, and that's the, the level that KDB's playing at. Bernardo, you know, look, it's it's one of those hat-tricks that, you know, he, the first goal, you only have the, I'm not going to 
belittle his achievement because scoring a hat-trick, his first ever hat-trick in uh, top-level uh, football is, is a fantastic achievement. But, there's a but, the first goal was quite easy, you just had to plonk it past the keeper. The second, David Silver, I think, did most of the hard work. And the third one, he miscontrolled it, and, and but then slammed it home. But it, look, you've got to be in the right place at the right time. He had a decent game, I think. Um, but if he'd, if he'd scored one goal, would he have been the man of the match? Anybody's man of the match? I really doubt it. Uh, but KDB played at a, a different level to most of the other players. Um, and I still don't think he's hitting top form. I think he's still got a way to go. Uh, but can you imagine some of the chances he created? Um, apart from scoring a fabulous goal himself, which I, even he looks a bit uh, shocked and taken aback by the, the stunningness of the power and uh, the precision of that missile of a shot. Goalie, you know, the goalie, it, it was like he, there was no need for him to die because the ball was already in the net before he even thought about dying. Oi, Ray, don't smash my plan here, man. You're going on to talk about someone else, another person, before we, we're, <laughs> we're, we're leaving him to the end. So just just hold right. hold your horses there, cowboy. Rein yourself in. Now, before we talk about the aforementioned person, and yeah. uh, I think Ray may have spoiled the surprise for everybody that I was I planning. I don't think you pulled the ball over anybody's <laughs> eye, but I could see through your cunning plan, Baldry. <laughs> Before we get on to that certain gentleman, let's talk about Senior Aguero. Now, I was very, very surprised, Ray, because um, when I was watching your YouTube channel and uh, you and uh, your uh, your little merry band of um, of friends were going through and giving people like uh, scores out of ten. I was saying, there's no way that you should be giving Aguero such high uh, marks because he missed four chances. I did score the penalty, but um, Aguero is a goal scorer. That's his job. And, of course, you could say there's a degree of difficulty to um, a few of these chances. You can sympathize, I think. Aguero, more than seven out of ten. I don't really think so. What was your take? Look at his contribution. Obviously, the penalty. I personally didn't like the penalty. I thought um, you're giving the goalkeeper if he dives the right way an easy save to make, uh, or even if he doesn't move that much. Now, I should um, explain this. I've, I've clarified this with Ray. He's saying that Aguero shot the penalty down the middle, which is the most dangerous kind of penalty. For penalties, I prefer hard shot into the corner mm-hmm. every single time, whichever corner you choose, but had a, a, a you know, firmly hit ball into the corner so that. If, even if the goalkeeper dives the right way, he has no chance of saving it. Now, the Aguero penalty, I felt, if the goalie had dived the right way, um, he could have caught it, almost. And those are the penalties I don't like, where you're giving the goalkeeper an opportunity um, to, to, to save the ball. And Aguero's missed a fair few important penalties as well. That's my personal opinion. You know, Maybe he did send the goalkeeper the wrong way. He did him by the eyes, but I, I still don't like that, that kind of penalty. Um, and me, it was obvious where he was going to shoot. I mean, the chap next to me and, and uh, me as well. So we both said, he's, you know, a lot of people said he's going to hit this on the goalie's right. In effect, that's where it was. Um, he was relying on the goalkeeper going the wrong way. And I don't like, uh, that's that's too much luck for for, for, for me. Um, but he put a great cross in with his left foot for Otamendi to score. The one he hit the post, I think that was just unlucky. Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of room to get it past the keeper and inside the post. That penalty basically uh, put the game beyond Watford. Um, you know, it, it's that bleak. Or it's, you know, 
it's that you can call it harsh, but that penalty stupidly given away. It only takes a couple of nails for City to nail down that coffin generally. And that's it. Watford were pretty much finished. And I said to the guy next to me, you might as well go home, mate. You know, they're not coming back from this. Uh, and, and sadly, a lot of City fans did go home quite early. Foster did, how much real chances did he have of saving some of those? You know, he didn't really. He, you know, I wouldn't blame him so much. I blame the 10 players in front of him. Now we can come on to talking about Kevin De Bruyne, who undoubtedly was the man of the match. Another ginger person, Mr. D- Adrian Durham, I heard apparently say that um, he's playing the best. And I, I still don't think he is. I, I think in the Centurion season, he he was stunning in some of the p- uh, passes he, he saw. He sees passes that nobody else knows are there. What I'm hoping for, I said this last season, in, last season or in a preview to this season, that I just hope he stays fit all season. I hope he stays fit because he can take us to another level. Pepper said similar things. Um, KDB takes his team to another level. And we might not win the league. We might not get 100 points. But a fully fit firing KDB um, takes us to an entirely new level of uh, brilliance. Uh, and I'm looking forward to this. You know, this continuing almost every single week. Well, of course, our rivals, Liverpool, win again against Chelsea. It's remarkable, isn't it, Ray, just how many of their players are the best in their position in the world. The latest one is Fabinho. Apparently, Fabinho is the greatest holding midfielder in the world, Ray. Look, it's been happening for, for ages, you know, that uh, Robertson is the best left-back in, in the world. Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, Alexander is the best right-back in the world. BBD is the best centre-back in the world. Alisson is the best goalkeeper in the world. Uh, Firmino, ah, Bobby, yeah, is the best striker in the world. I don't even think he can get into the Brazilian team as the number one choice. And then you've got Salah and Mane, and Fabinho is now the best defensive midfielder in the world. And Wijnaldum is almost... So many of their players are the best in the world. It's incredible that they didn't win the title last season. It's weird if you've got the best players in the world in almost every single position, then um, how can you not be the best team in the world? If you're not aware yet, Michael, but Virgil van Dijk, even by those less than, those reprehensible people at FIFA, even Virgil van Dijk didn't get the player of the year. The player of the year, the FIFA player of the year, Barcelona's Lionel Messi. So whilst we've been on this pod, it's gone to uh, Lionel Messi. It's just because uh, it's been pumped that way. The same way Klopp has got the Coach of the Year award ahead of Pep. That's the narrative. And that's what you get from just, you know, look, I've said this before. You can win your individual awards. You can win the stuff off the pitch. As long as we keep winning stuff on the pitch, I don't care that much about individual awards. I don't care about jibes about the empty hat. I don't care about anything. As long as we are winning stuff on the pitch, playing the best football that you're ever likely to see in your life, this is a, a, a level totally, you know, I, this makes me think back to the dominance of the best Liverpool teams, um, you know, in, in the in the 80s. And this is a level above that. So, no, I mean, you can keep winning, you can keep winning your individual awards. As long as we play fantastic football and keep winning stuff and winning trophies, you know, you can call us all the names you want, whether you're an opposition fan, whether you're a paid uh, shill, like some of the uh, alleged journalists that 
have a pop at City. I don't care. You know, what matters is what we're doing on the pitch. And because generally, uh, I've said this for a couple of years now, because you can't beat us on the pitch, you try and have a go at anything that's off the pitch. So keep your individual awards. Um, keep, you know, not giving Sergio Aguero uh, the... Keep not putting him in the team of the season, even if he was the uh, Golden Boot winner in, in England. We don't care. You know, you can... Uh, it, as long as we keep winning stuff, I'm not bothered about these individual awards. Okay, that will do us for now, everybody. We'll just say thank you very much to Ray for coming on the pod, and we will be back with you after the next game against Preston. So keep your eyes out for that one. So until then, have one less and up the blues. Manchester United have done all they can. That's really golden up to the three points. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli.